Ian, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Absolutely. So this is the first wildcard episode for the Wild on Purpose podcast, which basically means that we're just running with an idea pretty quickly. It's not going to be much post-production editing, and we're just going to get this out into the world. There's a time-sensitive nature to this conversation and excited to just see how the emergent field plays out in this dialogue about the Tamara Film Project that you're here to speak about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's get wild. Great. So you're here representing one of one of the three filmmakers that filmed a documentary about Tamara, which is mm-hmm. a, an intentional community over in Portugal. And I realized intentional community probably doesn't fully encapsulate what Tamara truly is. And I know this documentary has been seven years in the making. So a really big project for you and for your team. Mm -hmm. And so just to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you came into touch with Tamara and a little bit more about the film? And then we'll dive into the ethos, the the visionary importance of what you guys are bringing into the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, happy to. Well, I've been a filmmaker for probably around 15 or so years now. It was something that I was initially drawn to because I was, I I sort of understood that I think that film was the most effective way to shift consciousness in the shortest period of time. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I initially, uh, a friend started a project, actually this is back in the late 2000s, where he worked a job a week for a year. He was really curious, you know, to find what his passion was. And so he, he invented this idea to go on the road and just try a different job a week. And people offered him jobs and uh, he ended up traveling for the year. I came on with him. This is my friend from childhood and spent six months or so with him. And then we created a documentary, which became one week job. And uh, that to me was really how I got into filmmaking. <clears throat> and then from there, I became just really, you know, more attuned to what was going on in the world and ways of, of really engaging meaningfully with the times. And uh, I, I just started going through, you know, project for project. I mean, I worked on a film called Occupy Love with a Canadian director, Belcourt Ripper, which followed the first year of the Occupy movement. I co-directed a film called Amplify Her, which was looking at uh, the rise of women in electronic music on the one hand, but then also really trying to understand what the rise of the feminine means. And that became a beautiful transmedia, you know, documentary, graphic novel, motion comic. Um, yeah, really an incredible, um, just a plethora of, of creativity. And then this film in particular, uh, which is now called Tamara, the village of lovers initially came about because, you know, I was really curious around the, the edges of, of emergent culture. That's how I understood, you know, I was constantly seeking like, where are the interesting edges? And, uh, another short film I did was called, uh, the revolution is love, which was uh, just a short riff with this, um, fellow Charles Eisenstein, who's a lot of folks probably know now. And, uh, that film, you know, spoke about love, of course, and of course, Occupy Love, as I mentioned. So I was really on this tune of like love. How is love a political force? How is love really um, a way of engaging with the times? And this community in Portugal called Tamara reached out and they asked me, um, hey, we're doing some interesting things about love. Would you like to come visit? And uh, at the time I was a bit, you know, just curious, uh, but I had lots going on kind of shelved it. And, uh, uh, I took the end of my marriage really, um, to, mm. to really, you know, awaken me to the necessary, uh, work I needed to do to understand 
relationship and to look at essentially what seemed to be a whole other cultural understanding of how to um, live in a way that the heart can stay open, that relationships mm -hmm. have the support they need to flourish. And what does that mean in terms of our capacity or the human capacity to heal uh, our relationship to the earth? Like all of these things were swimming. And so mm -hmm. this is 2015. I connected with another filmmaker, John Wolfstone. Uh, we crowdfunded some money and soon we were on our way to the first global love school, which is what they call their program specifically for uh, political activists and uh, peace workers, uh, media makers to come and experience, you know, essentially their, their um, deep dive, you know, into, into what they've uh, developed really over 40 years as a research project, which is how they mm -hmm. understand themselves. I mean, it is a place, it is a village, but it's also a research center to understand, yeah, how to collectively and personally heal um, and to be in service to life itself. Mm. Beautiful. So it sounds like this place in Portugal, Tamara, is both a community of people who are living together year round, more or less, and mm -hmm. experimenting different ways of being with one another. And then through their actual day-to-day -day findings and this research that they're conducting on themselves, they're then teaching other people and creating curriculum and programs mm -hmm. that other people can come and cycle through. Is that right? Yeah, they, they're an education center, certainly. They have a thing called the Global Campus, and they have a number of different programs they offer. The Global Love School is just one. But they also have a very sophisticated uh, approach to political change um, and um, even things like a horse project where they develop a kind of reattunement in their relationship with animals, in this case, working with horses, mm -hmm. uh, permaculture, you know, all those things. So they really are like a holistic uh, cultural um, framework that for me is, is what distinguishes them from, for example, like a retreat center, mm -hmm. right. Which is specifically geared for like personal growth, um, you know, education, certainly, but uh, most retreat centers aren't actual places that people live. And, you know, maybe they have caretakers, maybe they have people that staff, right. But Tamara is an actual village. I mean, it's an intergenerational village, 40 years, as I've mentioned, uh, three generations. And, uh, that makes it yeah so much different than anything I'd ever experienced before. And how long did you stay there? And what was that experience like? Mm -hmm. So as I said, we, we my fellow uh, filmmaker, John and I, we attended the Global Love School in 2015. We thought it would just be a short film, right? I, I actually thought it would be like a 10 minute short. And of course, getting there, we realized, whoa, there's so much more going on. Uh, mm -hmm. It's gonna take more time to really you know, understand. I knew it would be a longer film at that point. So we came home and then, you know, over the next few years after working with the material, realizing we needed more uh, to understand more, uh, but also to gather more footage and interviews, we returned again the following uh, three years uh, to, again, go to the Love School. John stayed on for different periods, like a month in their community program. Uh, we connected with another filmmaker, Julia Marianska, who based in California also had, was making a film about love. Uh, and so it was an easy fit there. And so the three of us began collaborating. And then um, we took a break, I think it was 2018. And then 2019 was the uh, fourth time I attended the uh, love school. Julia came as well to gather what we needed. And at that time we thought we're like, okay, you know, we'll have it out by the year, end of the year. This is 2019, of course. And mm -hmm. uh, COVID happened, uh, right? Of course, in early 2020 which on the one hand provided an opportunity, of course, to have more time with the material to, because, you know, it would have been quite a, 
uh, tragedy. If we hear we release a film about community in the midst of a moment when basically everybody was told to stay away from each other. Right. So, uh, in some sense, the timing is divine now that the film has reached completion and we're bringing it to the world in an event happening this very weekend, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment. But, um, yeah, I'll say it, it to be able to work with the material and the experiences, my own personal experiences in the community were really vital in order to be able to translate it in a way that I think is now faithful to both the insight that they've um, managed to achieve, but also a kind of tempered uh, utopia, you know, that mm -hmm. the danger, of course, is, you know, in the earlier times being there, you know, of course, we were deeply affected by what we experienced, what we found, um, and, you know, had to work with it. Like, what does this actually mean in our own lives? You know, mm -hmm. um, what's actually sustainable or, or possible without an entire cultural context in which to hold it, for example. And, mm -hmm. you know, we can talk about a number of the things around, you know, how to live love free from fear, right? Which is one of their central uh, uh, tenants or, or commitments there. And, you know, that, that can mean one thing when you're in a community that has elders, that has people all dedicated in deep solidarity to each other to live in that certain way. And it's very different when you come home and you have basically nobody, right? That is sort of willing to, to lean in, in that way. Um, what, you know, what's possible there is very different what's possible without it. So that was necessary for us to, yeah, to temper our understanding and, and be faithful translators to an audience, a global audience that very likely is again, not going to have that context, but we really tried to offer a model and, you know, a bridge to mm -hmm. the possibility of what it would mean to step towards it. Wow. Beautiful. That was one of my big questions. If we can't actually uproot our lives and go live in this community in Portugal, how, I, how might we learn from their, their ethos, from their philosophies, from these tenants? And so it sounds like the film project, the documentary is a bit of a communication bridge that is aiming to translate what they do there for a more global audience. Can you mm -hmm. speak to... Yeah, that can be... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to, I mean, offer again, you know, I talked about this idea of love free from fear. So this is a key mm -hmm. aspect of, of their commitment. And so what that means is they understand um, the founders, Dieter Doom, Sabine Lichtenfels, and Charlie Rainier. So they're German. Uh, it started in Germany. And in 1995, the community moved to southern Portugal. And we talk about why in the film. Um, but essentially, the, the initial insight was Dieter Doom was part of the political left at the time in like the late 60s, you know, early 70s. And what he discovered was a lot of the same dynamics and infighting and violence um, that was happening on the left that was meant to be a response to the right. Uh, and what he found, of course, he's like, wait, we're not going deep enough, right? That that this this left uh, idea of or, or model of, of that this is the way to go clearly wasn't the case in the sense that he realized, again, it didn't go deep enough to what was below all of this. And one of the aspects recognized was that there's a fundamental distrust right at the core of so much of the modern existence. And, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's a distrust in systems, distrust in each other, uh, distrust in life, right. That this core fundamental distrust is, um, is the undercurrent of, of why it's so hard to actually, you know, meaningfully, um, do anything in this case about, you know, creating a new culture or even doing anything about, you know, climate emergency happening. I mean, it's still very present, obviously, like this fundamental distrust. And so him and the others set out and they said, okay, what will it take to actually dig deep enough where we can get to what's below all this? 
And so they started a very small project with, you know, 10 friends living in a farmhouse for like three years. And they basically said, We're, we won't leave no matter what happens, right? Like whatever shows up, we'll, we'll stay. It's sort of like what they, what they committed to. And so they were able to get to these deeper layers, right? Of what was needed to create uh, a vessel of healing and deeper trust. And um, one of the other core aspects of this was that they realized, uh, and this is what one of the founders, Charlie Rainier, talks about. He says, we, we committed to free love in that sense, love free from lies, from inauthenticity, uh, mm -hmm. from power over or ownership, right, over each other. Um, you know, in the film, he says, you know, because, you know, it was in the air, you know, free love and the hippies and, you know, all this stuff. That was part of it. But they realized that, again, that was one of the aspects, unless they really worked on that together, then they wouldn't really live at the deepest level, you know, find the deepest level of trust. And so many mm -hmm. communities fail, of course, because they don't address these issues, right? Because they, they sort of, you know, maybe push away or repress it, um, comes out sideways uh, that, you know, that they, they, I see them as actually world leaders and many do as a community that has really tackled this particular aspect around, you know, love, sexuality, partnership um, as a central focus of the community. Mm -hmm. And so this is also why they're so important uh, because again, then they, they settled on the sense of love free from fear. So how do we create the cultural conditions where people can be authentic and, for them in particular, though, that means that there's no particular way people need to relate to each other. Like there's no um, expectation of pair bonding, you know, of committing to monogamy, you know, any of that stuff. You can you can explore no, whatever relational, you know, container that you'd like within the community. It's just that it's done transparently with mm -hmm. others helping you in your process, right? So you can be monogamous, you can be celibate, you can be uh, open. They don't use the term polyamory though as well. Like that doesn't quite translate um, uh, because again, it's a different context than what I would consider, for example, polyamory in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, those communities. And often they operate without the same like lived reality day to day, living with people on land, you know, you know, with a deep committed intention to like change the world like that, to even be that audacious, right. Is mm -hmm. in itself also a kind of like, wow, that's, that's pretty bold. Um, but they've lived that continually over and over again. And so that's another aspect. And then finally, this um, deep understanding of the the war or the tension or the mistrust between men and women has been such a core aspect of their uh, exploration as well, because they see this as like a not only a, a kind of human scale drama, but also the archetypal drama, right, of this tension between and misunderstanding between the masculine and feminine. And so they've worked out, again, a whole like mythological undercurrent to their research of what does it take to actually come back into trust? And then by that working together, healing those wounds, that then how are we able to turn to the land and heal the land, which is actually what's really needed, of course. And mm -hmm. the last thing I'll say is that they've been recognized now as a world leader in landscape regeneration in their community by building water retention landscapes and really, again, healing uh, the 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 place that they are, uh, and then providing that, you know, as a model to the world. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So how might we over here in America or in monogamous marriages, like myself and Johnny, when you're, when you're talking, I get really excited about creating the conditions for love to be free from fear. And I know that myself and my husband are doing that just in our little dyad that we have together, as well as in this house of five that I live with. And since the idea of community is catching on, at least from my perspective over here in the States, or at least in the West, how might we learn 
and actually embody what they're teaching while staying home? And is the film mm -hmm. a gateway for us to do that? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we touch on is, is essentially the calamity of the loss of village, right? And in many ways, this experience of the film and the model of the film is on the one hand, you know, yes, the, the kind of research content of what they talk about, but we're also hoping to transmit the actual like somatic remembrance of what it means to be in village. Because of course, so many of our own ancestral lines as modern people, this is how we used to live. And so that's, that's a key piece of, you know, what does it mean to actually be in this like deep loving trust with other humans and to participate in each other's lives in a meaningful way. You know, we have a scene where there's a new baby who's being welcomed into the community uh, and literally they sing the child in, right? Like they're, mm -hmm. they're all surrounding wow. and they're singing in this, you know, this being. And again, like that, imagine we're all sung into the world like that, right? It's just, you know, everything would change if that was the case, or they do this practice called the forum, which is essentially like a, a group process of performing your inner world, but publicly, uh, and consciously and being facilitated to, to find those levels of insight, right. And feedback that you actually need to, to grow as a person and also to dare to be transparent within the community. So again, that actually in the right container deepens trust amongst each other. So they have these very specific processes, for example, to do that. And th this is also, also based on the understanding that because of the loss of village, uh, we've essentially collapsed so much of the different roles that other folks would play in our lives down mm -hmm. to the intimate partner, right? And mm -hmm. even just something, something very simple, like for example, touch, like non-sexual nourishing touch. Um, you know, depending on the community you're in, you know, I suspect you probably have a certain degree of somatic safety and trust with folks, you know, um, in different communities, could be dance communities, could be, uh, yeah, lots of communities now are kind of somatically kind of addressing this layer, um, depending on where you are. But majority of folks, I would say, probably have very little touch outside of their intimate partnership, right? They're very little physical touch, and especially even men, right? Even more so. Uh, and the consequence of that actually is it funnels, of course, all of the need to that one person, which is just a, a strategy or a recipe, of course, for, I mean, disappointment and uh, overwhelm um, and how much, how vital that is actually for just a general feeling of, of nourishment and grounding, mm -hmm. right? And if you have a trust field of many folks that you can get that from, suddenly it's like, ah, oh, you know, everybody can breathe. It's like distributed, you know, those needs can be met elsewhere. Um, and it's less so piling it all on the partner, but even things like, you know, counsel, uh, or, or, you know, even just different activities, of course, it's nice to have other folks that you can connect with and sort of distribute that they go even so far as to say, you know, of course you're open to explore, you know, erotic connection consensually within the community. You know, there's no shame. There's no judgment around that. There's even places in the community called love spaces where mm -hmm. you, you are encouraged in a way to go and explore contact in a lot of ways. It doesn't have to be sexual, but it's just a, a dedicated place. That's not either of your homes. Cause again, people there too, they don't tend to live in pair bonds. Uh, they tend to live in their own spaces. Right. And mm -hmm. then they intentionally choose to, you know, spend the night together or intentionally choose those. It's not default. Uh, which again, that to me was a total reformat when I first went there. Cause I was like, what don't you eventually, you know, the escalator relating as you, you eventually move in together. And like, that's, that's, isn't that how it goes? And for them, it's the exact opposite. It's like, no, because that creates a lot of dependencies. 
um, and a kind of enmeshments and entanglements uh, rather than kind of keeping your energies more clear to be able to participate in community. And again, to, to practice intentionality in the ways that you connect, for example. Mm -hmm. So these are just some very kind of like culturally um, practiced ways in which they, they really intentionally design their ways of being together, which again, they, you know, they're radical in some ways and also very um, uh, like ancestrally, um, like there's wisdom, there's an intelligence in living that way, of course, that for a lot of modern folks are just so out there, but so obviously better than the ways that we live now. Mm -hmm. I mean, the phrase that's running through my mind is it takes a village. And I, I literally think that's so true that we have so many diverse needs being human. And if we are to come fully alive, if we are to fully step into that life force of Eros, then yeah, we need more than ourselves and just a monogamous partner. And it's okay. Like it's, it sounds like it's okay if monogamy is the path that someone chooses there, but it's also being surrounded by a diversity of humans and also the multi-generational aspect. I really enjoy right now. It's like most of my friends are just my age mm -hmm. and what kind of wisdom, what kind of connection, yeah. what kind of, um, initiatory experiences am I missing out on by not being surrounded by different generations, either younger or older? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd say for me too, the experience being there was really healing to actually be with older folks in like group process space in the community where, it, you know, I was really longing for that, right? Like longing for older folks who had really done the work, mm -hmm. right? Who had really, t you know, been subjecting themselves over and over again to the kind of self-reflection and the kind of collective reflection that they were just so, you know, insightful, grounded, um, really pillars within the community, which is so much, of course, the, the elder function, uh, which again is, is so lost for so many folks that, you know, there's no, um, without the, the, uh, the willingness to subject oneself to that, you know, over the course of a lifetime, I find it's very rare to find older folks that can show up in the moments that are actually begging for them to, mm. right? Because there's a term that's come forth, um, for example, uh, older, right? There's olders, there's a lot of olders out there, but I would consider them mostly in terms of emotionally or in terms of self-awareness to be essentially adults, like, you know, like a, a mid middle-aged adult, if that, right? Because there's a lot of olders mm -hmm. too that are, you know, barely out of their teens in terms of their self-awareness and their ability to, to show up as, um, as, as have a certain, you know, necessary understanding of what's needed in certain times. And when I'm around older folks, particularly in group process or, you know, ritual, that have clearly done the work and know how to show up, I just relax completely, right? I'm just like, oh, oh my God, thank you. Because, you know, otherwise it, it falls on the rest of us to like hold it down and even deal with their issues, right? In moments when it's like, come on now, people, like this is when we need you. And so being at Tamara, I was just over and over, I was just so, uh, you know, wowed really by how, how their uh, elders showed up, uh, including the founder, Sabine Lichtenfels, who for me is like the, most profound, like witchy, wise, erotic, you know, older woman that I've ever experienced. And I'd never seen, you know, a woman like that. I mean, she's basically, she can incarnate like Baba Yaga in the trickster, you know, uh, alongside, you know, grandmother, you know, offering tea and, you know, like the whole spectrum. And it's just mm -hmm. so incredible to encounter an older woman like that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So this weekend, 
is a sneak preview of the film. Can you talk a little bit about this two-day event, why it's coming together, and some of the more like immersive aspects of it, why people should show up, and mm-hmm. what it's also leading to yeah. in the spring of next year? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. So the film is literally in final stages now, um, and the plan is for us that we, we crafted, myself and fellow filmmakers, was to offer an initial sneak preview of the film and the goal, well, one, to, to, again, as a kind of gratitude to the folks that have supported us over the years, we did two Kickstarters right throughout the last five years or seven years, I should say. And, uh, so there's a certain special access for them as well as folks who want to tune in and, and experience the film now, um, because it's also meant to be a fundraiser to help us raise the, the amount we need to support a global release in the spring. Um, you know, most documentaries, that get out there really have pretty big marketing budgets or big distributors. That's not the case for us. We're actually planning to release the film as a gift in the spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, something we pledged even back during the Kickstarters because we do feel like it's a vital piece of the, the puzzle, right? In terms of how do we create really communities of trust that can really participate in the times. And so we do need the capital though, to be able to bring together the team to, to really bring it out in a good way, right? That it takes a lot of effort. Um, to, to make sure that it really kind of cuts through the noise, right? That's out there. So, so that's the other intention of this two-day event. So we have the film screening, we have Q and A's with us, the filmmakers. We also have three sessions, three live talks with uh, a couple key members and allies. Two of them are from Tamara. Uh, well, well two, one is the founder Sabine, like I mentioned, she'll be there, as well as Martin uh, Winiecki, who is part of the uh, Institute for Global Peace at Tamara. Uh, that's on uh, Eros and community. And then the second talk we have is Eros and Activism with Ida Shibley, who's a uh, Tamara resident as well as a uh, Palestinian activist, incredible mm-hmm. woman, as well as Alnur Lada, who's an ally of the community as well, does a lot of work with sort of uh, working with the Global South and is also, you know, with, with Tamara and helping, you know, like bridge as well between their work and the other communities that are doing good work in the world. And then finally, uh, a session on Eros and community, or sorry, Eros and Partnership but with Charles Eisenstein and his uh, partner, Ch- Stella Eisenstein. They were also in the community in 2017 when we were filmed there and uh, yeah, have a unique perspective on, yeah, how did it work for them to come home? You know, how did, what translated in their mm-hmm. community and their partnership, um, you know, that we're going to find out then. And so the Sunday, so that's all happening Saturday. The Sunday, we have an integration session by uh, Skyler, uh, who is a like trained and high level uh, facilitator around really bringing an embodied integration space around what's stirred, because no doubt people will be stirred from what mm. they see and what they experience. And so that's meant to be a place, yeah, where people can come and really yeah, embody and work through what, what comes up for them uh, and, and really turn it or alchemize it into yeah, meaningful content you know, for their lives. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And who do you think will get the most value out of attending this weekend, aside from those who have already been in the community and pledged and supported you guys? But if somebody was just hearing this and they're totally new to Tamara and, and your work, what do you think, like, what, what kind of uh, value might they mm-hmm. be looking for and gaining out of this? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely, I mean, most people would be interested in this just simply from the fascination. I think to see, whoa, like what, it, what, what it would it be like to be in a completely other cultural context? In many ways, it feels like it's going to another planet because of the ways in which they've, you know, really developed a whole other um, way of being together. And so just a glimpse of that, of what's possible, even if somebody is like, whoa, way too radical, you know, I could never do that. But 
I still think there's deep value in experiencing, again, a whole other possibility, especially in a time like now, when I think so much of the, the ways of engaging with the moment feel stuck, right? Feel like mm. nothing's really coming forth that feels really distinctly um, meaningful or possible. You know, we look at uh, the latest COP, uh, you know, climate meetings and people are just like, you know, great, not again, nothing's really seems to be changing or ways of reorganizing our lives or our societies in a meaningful way that isn't just more of the same, right? And I think Tamara, their great gift is that they fundamentally have been on such a different track for so many decades now. And they've gone deep enough to really retrieve, you know, real deep insights into what might be possible that I think wherever somebody is in, you know, their activist work or their, their desire for understanding how to engage meaningfully with this time, or even finding ways of unblocking or getting unstuck in their own relationships, mm -hmm. right? Um, even that at that level, absolutely. To just see a mirror back to, you know, how we live and how it could be different, I think is incredibly valuable. And to be, you know, inspired and stirred in such a unique way, I think, again, I would encourage anyone with at all, if this piques their interest to, to check it out. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm super excited to, to watch the film and take part in all of this. I know for me, just being on this, you know, I call it the rewilding path of like rewilding myself as an individual, rewilding love and connection and deep, intimate partnership and community and society at large. It just like keeps extrapolating larger. And, but it begins mm -hmm. with our own relationship to self and our own relationship to that life force energy that moves inside of us, like you said, releasing authenticity, expressing ourselves, expressing our the fullness of our hearts. And from my experience, it's one of the most vulnerable, challenging, scary things we can do when we're not taught how to do it or and we're not surrounded by those mm. who are also walking a similar path. So yeah, I just wanna thank you for the work that you guys are bringing into the world. And I get excited that there is a model that we can look toward and so as these healing biotopes, as they're calling them, are springing up in different places around the world, or as people are just in their own communities or in their own households saying like, you know, how can we do this better? Like, how can we really support each other in a deeper, more meaningful way that this might actually offer mm -hmm. some steps to do that? And so maybe baby steps for mm -hmm. some of us, but it does feel like a, a large leap for just the global narrative. Mm -hmm. And to plant the seeds, right? To plant the seeds that could sprout into something ultimately very different, perhaps where, where everyone's at, like there is a, you know, it's not, it's not meant to be a utopic, you know, monotheism, you know, again, this is the way, but, mm -hmm. uh, I think it could really stir again, the lots of possibilities for folks, no matter where they're at about how it could look for them and what makes sense for them, depending on their ecosystem, you know, their social, uh, place and climate, you know, so, um, there would be something that helps them on their path. Yeah. Yeah. So if people are looking to be stirred and have some availability this weekend, they can go and get tickets at thevillageoflovers.com. Mm -hmm. And yep. do you think it's best that they attend both days or can you pop into Sunday without attending Saturday or is it, should you commit to the full experience? Uh, yeah, d definitely the full experience. Yeah. Sunday okay. would not make sense without attending Saturday. Yeah. Great. So, cause it's meant to alchemize what was stirred on the Saturday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, purely live. There's no recording afterward. Uh, those, those who register though, they can get the recordings yeah, of the sessions. Okay. Um, those will be available to them. And then the film, there will be a, if you can't make the film screening, we actually have two that day, one in the morning, one in the evening to mm -hmm. make it available for both, you know, those folks in the European, uh, time zones, particularly, 
but yeah, two opportunities to see it on Saturday. And then there will be a short window, 24 hours on the Monday for attendees to see it. If again, you can't make those two, but you, you still, you know, want to see it. Um, yeah, we'll give access to that for 24 hours Monday. And then after that, if you miss it, no film, uh, until the global release, which will happen in the spring, the Sunday integration session will not be recorded out of respect for folks participating. You know, I think it'll be a really beautiful, intimate space. And mm -hmm. so again, that's just for folks that are able to be there. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ian. I'll link to all of that in the show notes. So anyone who wants to attend and join us will be able to do so. Thank you for taking the time and sharing your art awesome. and th these visions with the world. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Kelly. <laughs>